Okay, friends, now let's move on to our scripture reading and sermon for today. And I just want to remind you all today that the sermon will officially start after the scripture reading is done. Let's read our scripture for today. This is the word of God, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him up to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of God. May he add his blessing to it. Friends, have you ever experienced a moment of temptation where you wished that someone would have given you a plan or a formula for overcoming that temptation beforehand to help you to have victory over it at that time? Well, this morning, Matthew points us to the temptation of Christ in order that we might learn from his temptation narrative how to overcome it. Now, the setting of Jesus' temptation takes place in the wilderness, where after his baptism, he was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil before he began his public ministry. And verse 2 describes the extreme nature of Jesus' temptation by telling us that he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, so that he was extremely hungry. But the question is, how is it? that he was able to overcome temptation in the midst of such extreme conditions? Well, the answer might sound a little bit simplistic to us, but it was definitely because Jesus lived his life in a state of perfect contentment with God. And the biblical definition of contentment is the state of being satisfied in God at all times. And being rooted and grounded, first and foremost, in a mature trust of the Lord, in spite of one's circumstances. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these we shall be content. You see, the environment that Jesus was in was an empty and barren wilderness where he was alone with wild beasts, hungry, deprived, thirsty, 
lonely, isolated, and uncertain about his future ministry. Yet he remained content. But the reason for his contentment, in spite of his environment, was because he entrusted himself to God and was completely satisfied in him, no matter what the outcome. So then Jesus' contentment during temptation is what led him to be faithful to God in the midst of that temptation. And I think that this is an important lesson for us to learn as Christians if we are to experience victory in times of temptation. Learning how to be content should be our goal as God's people. So what I want to focus on this morning is Jesus' encounter with temptation and his subsequent victory over it. And I want to highlight for you three aspects of Jesus' temptation, three aspects of his temptation. First, the reality of his temptation. Second, the nature of his temptation. And third, his victory over temptation. But first, the reality of temptation. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, this is a remarkable statement, friends, in light of the fact that Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, where the heavens were open, and he heard the Father audibly say, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit then descended on him like a dove. And so Jesus' temptation occurred at the very height of his ministry, right after his baptism, as he was led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And just as Adam was tempted in the Garden of Eden as a representative for mankind, so Jesus must also be tempted in the wilderness to qualify as a sinless representative for the salvation of his people. But notice how different the circumstances of Adam and Jesus was. You see, when you compare the temptation of Jesus with that of Adam, you'll notice that these circumstances were not the same. You see, Adam was in a perfect environment, an environment where he enjoyed good food, great fellowship, all in the company of his lovely wife, Eve. And yet, when temptation occurred, Adam sinned in spite of it. And he disobeyed God. But you see, Jesus and Jesus' temptation took place in a hostile environment where he was hungry, alone, and without the company or fellowship of another person. And yet, in spite of all this, when temptation occurred, he overcame and remained faithful to God. Now, what does this say for us about the reality of temptation as Christians? Well, one thing it shows us is that our lack of obedience or obedience to God during temptation has very little to do with our circumstances, right? I mean, we usually blame our disobedience on our circumstances. We make all kinds of excuses for our failure to obey God. We tell ourselves things like, if I had a better job and I made more money, then I would surely tie faithfully to the church. Or we say things like, God just doesn't understand for me how hard it is to be single and lonely. He's not providing for my needs, so I might as well do it myself. 
Or we say, God doesn't understand how hard it is for me to live faithfully as a Christian at my job. I'm around unbelievers all the time. And so it's impossible for me to guard my tongue and watch my behavior around them constantly. If only I had different co-workers or worked in a better environment, then it would be so much easier for me to be faithful to God. But you see, the narrative of Jesus' temptation shows us that obedience to God is not dependent on the circumstances or environment that we find ourselves in as Christians. Nor does it depend on the things we have or don't have in this life. But instead, we must learn to trust God at all times and in all circumstances and to be completely satisfied in our relationship with him. And I'm not saying that this is easy to do, friends, because I don't think it was easy for Jesus either. But our sin has a lot to do with our lack of contentment in God and our tendency to seek satisfaction in other people, places, and things. This is the reality of temptation. And secondly, I want to talk about the, the nature of temptation. Nature of temptation. Notice that in the encounter between Jesus and Satan, this gives us an amazing case study for us where we can observe the enemy at his very worst and we can see his techniques up close. And notice that there are three temptations that the devil uses against Jesus, along with three things that we can learn from them. First, Satan tempts us through our physical desires. He tempts us through our physical desires. Look at verses 2 and 3. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. You see, when Satan tempted Jesus, it was not by accident that Jesus was hungry. And Satan knew it. You see, even though Jesus was the Son of God, his body was just as human as yours and mine. And so the devil tempted Jesus where he was the most weakest and vulnerable at the time. In the same way, Satan tempts us through our physical desires as people. Whether it's a temptation to greed, to lust, to laziness, to envy and pride. Or to overindulge with alcohol, food or drugs. Many of the sins we commit as people, as human beings have to do with the physical desires we experience in our bodies. And since Jesus had no sinful desires, Satan tempted him at the only physical point he could. And that was the point of physical hunger. Secondly, Satan tempts us by twisting God's word. Look at verses 5 and 6. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And since Jesus quoted scripture to Satan at the end of the first temptation, Satan now uses scripture right back at Jesus by using a passage from Psalm 91 that talks about God's protection for his people. Now the problem is that Psalm 91 was not written to encourage Christians to jump off temples or moving trains, right? It's simply an affirmation that God watches over his people and protects us from any and all kinds of danger. 
And so Satan tempts us by twisting the word of God in order to make us misunderstand it, misinterpret it, and distort it to our own destruction. One commentator said, The devil and the devil's disciples quote scripture for evil purposes. While they appeal to our lower nature, their strongest appeal, get this, is to our higher nature. They try to persuade us to do not what we know is wrong, but actually what we think is right. In a book titled, How People Change, Paul Tripp and Timothy Lane list seven ways that we distort the gospel as Christians and do what is right in our own eyes as people. And I pray, friends, that none of us fall into any of these categories that they mention. The first category is formalism, where a person bases their Christianity on their external performance, like their attendance at church or their service in the church, as opposed to having a real heart change that comes from knowing God and being in a true relationship with him. The second is legalism, where a person seeks to achieve righteousness by following God's commands through a rigid list of do's and don'ts. And the third is mysticism, where a person bases their salvation on some emotional or spiritual experience that they had, as opposed to the objective word of God. And the fourth is activism, where we neglect the evil that is inside of us as sinners, and we overemphasize the evil that is outside of us. So we argue about things like abortion, about gender, and we make that the litmus test for us being a Christian. The fifth gospel distortion is called Biblicism, where we reduce the, the gospel to mere head knowledge while failing to live out the gospel practically in our lives in submission and obedience to Christ. Paul Tripp says that the Biblicist, he invests a great deal of time and energy to mastering the word, but he never allows the word to master him. The sixth distortion is called psychologism, where the Bible is regarded primarily as a self-help book dealing with our emotional wounds uh, and we ne like uh, neglect or rejection that we experienced as people, as opposed to us having a personal relationship with Christ. And so for that person, Christianity becomes more of a pursuit of healing than a pursuit of godliness. And the gospel is reduced to the healing of one's emotional needs. And the last distortion is called socialism, where a person in church emphasizes the social relationships within the church instead of growing in Christ individually. So that when the church community changes or the church programs get cut, the socialist falls away from the faith and even stops attending church altogether. Paul Tripp says about this person that for, for him, the grace of friendships has replaced Christ as the thing that gave him identity, purpose, and hope. And the gospel has been reduced to a network of fulfilling Christian relationships. Friends, you see how the devil is so very clever at distorting the gospel. And though these distortions often start out with good intentions, they can be very destructive if we're not careful. Especially because Satan's goal is to tempt us by twisting and distorting God's word, the nature of temptation. And lastly, notice the method that Jesus used to gain the victory over temptation. You see, when Jesus faced temptation, he appealed first and foremost to the word of God 
Three times we're told in verse 4, 7, and 10 that he said, it is written. This tells us that as Christians, we must be people of the word. People who read, study, and know the Bible for ourselves. And most importantly, friends, we must believe it. You see, it's not enough to just know the Bible intellectually, but we must also believe what it says to us. For example, the Pharisees in Jesus' day knew the Bible a lot better than you and me, and yet they refused to believe it. They refused to meditate on God's promises and to embrace those promises for themselves as people. And sometimes I think, at least this is true for me, friends, in my own heart, that when I sin at that very moment, I'm not fully believing in and trusting God and the promise to, promises that he's made to me in his word at that time. I'm not trusting that he will meet my needs. And I'm not trusting that he will ultimately provide for me. And so I become discontent in my heart and unsatisfied with the things that he's given me so that I long for something else within my heart. And so I turn away from God's word and I seek to find a solution to my problem in my own strength. Does that sound familiar to any of you today? Is that the very essence of sin? When as God's people we seek to find satisfaction in something other than God? One editor at Desiring God Ministries put it this way. The secret to discontentment in plenty or in hunger with billions of dollars or without is to place our hope and joy in something or someone other than God. To believe that precious good lies anywhere outside the beauty of God's commands. End quote. And I think it's fair to say for us then that when we give in to temptation, it has, it has a lot to do with our lack of contentment. With our failure to believe and remind ourselves of all the promises of God to us that he has made to us throughout the scriptures. So in order to have real victory over temptation, we must use our resources as Christians. We must pray and practice contentment. We must understand the schemes of the devil. We must also believe and know God's word in order that we might meditate on the promises to us. And then finally, we must lean on the mercy of Jesus, friends, whenever we fall short. You see, Hebrews 2 verses 18 tells us that Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted. Because he did that, he's able to comfort those and help those who are being tempted. In other words, Jesus was tempted so that he could help and comfort us when we are tempted. Hebrews chapter 4 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. Friends, what a powerful message this is because Jesus is our great high priest. He also sympathizes with us in our lack of contentment. And his victory on the cross at Calvary assures us all today that we will absolutely receive mercy and grace in times of need and times of temptation. Let us pray and thank God for this great and valuable gift. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus, Lord. Father, we ask for forgiveness for our lack of contentment, for our seeking satisfaction, and something other than you. But this too, Lord, is also a sin that Jesus died for. 
And so today, even today, right now, we can be forgiven for our lack of contentment because of what Christ has done for us. Father, thank you so much for your love and mercy. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.